Father, thank you so much for being so good. God, we thank you for loving us in spite of us, God, for your incredible grace, your unlimited mercy. God, I, I thank you, Father, that, Lord, you, you never forgot what the main thing is. You've always made it about people. Jesus Christ stepped down out of, out of glory to come down to Calvary to make it all about people, God. People just like us, Father. I just want to tell you thank you, God, for being so good to us. Lord, I pray you'd, you'd speak to us tonight, Lord, as we look here at your word. Lord, they ask the apostles in chapter 20, Father, I pray you'd give us insight. I pray you'd give us wisdom according to your word. I pray you'd help us, Father, that everything we do be pleasing to you. May, may we walk out, Lord, equipped to serve you better. We love you. You've been good to us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 20, book of Acts, if you guys want to turn <coughs> to there last week, we finished up chapter 19. We saw the town recorder come into the mob that had gathered there and kind of got everything simmered down and dispersed the mob. And <coughs> um, we, we saw how God intervened in that situation so Paul and his companions didn't have to get involved in it and kept them safe. But chapter 20, verse number 1 I'm just going to do these one verses at a time, or, or one verse as we look at them. But it says that after the uproar was ceased, so you know, that's where we left off when the town recorder come in and calmed everything down. After it was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. Now, this isn't something that's new. This isn't something that Paul goes, well... We had a mob here, so we've got to get out of town. This is something that was already planned. If you remember three weeks ago, we saw that Paul was already planning to go to Rome. We, we looked at it. We actually looked at it two Wednesday nights, looked at it again Sunday morning. But I just can't seem to get past it. But Paul said in Acts 19, verse 18, when we looked at many believe that came, confessed, showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together, burned them in the fire before all men, counted the price of them. Found to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I haven't got that out of my system yet. I haven't gotten past that. I'm kind of hoping I don't. I'm, I feel like God's got something that's going to change. But I think it's something that, that can be for all of us. That those who got saved were right. They brought everything of their sin. They brought all their stuff. And, and because of that, the word of God grew mightily and prevailed what what that tells me if we want God to see do if, if we want if we want God to see do if we want to see God do something great God will but it's got to start with us we, we we've got to start here but verse number 17 I mean verse number 21 of chapter 19 after these things rendered Paul purpose in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to Jerusalem saying after I have been there I must also see Rome so this isn't some new thing Paul's already written he's got to go there so he sent to Macedonia two of them that ministered to him Timotheus and Erastus but he himself stayed in Asia for a season at the same time there arose no small stir about the way so what we see is that Paul is already planning to go to Rome. So he makes his next stop there at, at Macedonia. If we look at Paul's letters, we can see that, that Paul himself, yeah, I want y'all to listen, this, this has got something good for somebody tonight. It's got some good stuff for me. We can see that Paul is dealing with some personal issues. Anybody ever deal with some personal issues? Anybody, anybody ever deal with anxiety? Anybody ever deal with fatigue? Anybody ever deal with fear? Anybody ever deal with depression? Well, so did the Apostle Paul. We see some things in his letter. You don't see it in his preaching. 
You don't see it when, when Luke writes about him here and all that's going on. You don't see it in the way that he ministers to others. But it's obvious from his own letters that, that there's some issues. When he was at Philippi and he wrote his first letter to the church at Corinth, he was very concerned about the church at Corinth. And he wrote there addressing some issues that were going on within the church. But from Philippi, he wrote that first, first letter to him. And sec, I'm sorry, second, second letter in chapter 1, verse number 8. He said, I would not have you... Brethren, would, would not have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. He said, look, don't, don't, don't be deceived. Don't think this has been a cakewalk. Everything's going easy. I, I don't want you to be ignorant of the trouble which came to us. Paul tell him, we've been through some bad stuff. He says, we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. In, in chapter 2, he goes on, verse number 13, he says, I had no rest in my spirit. Because I found not Titus, my brother, but taking leave of them, I went from thence to Macedonia. Now, it's been about two years ago. Most of you may, probably won't remember. Most of you might not even been there. But when we went through 2 Corinthians, we looked at that. He got there. And, and Titus was supposed to be there. And Titus isn't there. And they don't have cell phones. They don't have text messages. You just can't find out why somebody isn't there. And with thieves and robbers and all the things along the trails, there's a whole host of things that could be going through somebody's mind. We look back at it. But, but Paul was anxious. He said, I had no rest. And, and then we get... Chapter 7, he says in verse number 5, When we were come to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, and we were troubled on every side. Sounds like Paul's got some anxiety going on, doesn't it? There, there's some issues going on. I mean, they, our flesh had no rest. That means I'm anxious. I can't get any sleep. Uh, I'm sideways about some stuff. I'm troubled on every side. But pay close attention to this next part of the statement right here in this verse. He says, Without were fightings, Within were fears. Paul is saying there, there's angry mobs. There, there's those that wanted us beaten. There's those that wanted us killed. There's those that wanted us run out of town. There, there's some fighting going on. There's a lot of opposition. And because of that, there were some fears on the inside. That's what he said. Paul said there, there's some fears on the inside. But he goes on in verse, verse number Six of Second Corinthians chapter seven, he says, "Nevertheless, God." That's the same thing as my two favorite words, but God. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down. See that there's some people right now from some storms. That's what they need. They're, they're cast down right now. They're broken right now. They're beaten right now. They they've been through some hard times. They're going through some hard times, and this stuff ain't gonna go away in a couple of days. Some of them are going to be dealing with this stuff. They're probably finally going to get to move into their new replacement home about a year from now. I mean, this is going to be a long time. People have been cast down. It's been an all of a sudden change. But he says that the, the, the God that comforted those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. See, God knows what's bothering you. God knows where to lift your spirits. God knows sometimes what you need to see, and God sends the right thing in time. It's not that Paul didn't struggle with the tax from other people. It's that Paul didn't let other people distract him from the purpose that he had, and that was to spread the gospel. It's not that, that Paul doesn't deal with personal issues just like everybody else. It's that he didn't let his personal issues overcome his spiritual calling and, and get in the way of the things that God's given him to do. Listen, the devil doesn't do anything any different today to you and I than he did to the Apostle Paul back then. 
The devil hadn't changed since Adam and Eve in the garden, and he won't change the day that Jesus comes back. He's not going to change. He's the same way he puts everything there. It's not that we're not going to face these things. He uses anxiety. He uses depression. He uses fear. He tries to put those things in, and we can overcome these things. The God that comforted those that are cast down will carry us when we can't walk. He'll hold us up when we can't stand. So from Macedonia, Paul, it says, went on to Greece. Verse number 2 here in our text, Acts chapter 20, says that when he'd gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. So Paul visits the church there at Corinth, and in Corinth is where he writes the amazing epistle to the church at Rome. The, 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 what we call the book of Romans it is considered to be Paul's best letter. Most theologians, people do a lot of study in it. They, they call that like the elite of all of his letters. The caption in my study Bible says, The theme of the letter is the gospel of God. The widest, talking about Romans, the widest possible designation of the whole body of redemption truth. It relates to the whole world because there's no partiality. God is God of the Jew and of the Gentile. All humanity is found guilty before God, but salvation through grace is available to all mankind. So, so Paul writes this incredible letter to, to the church at Rome. And here, here he's on his third missionary journey. He sits down and writes it. He pretty much spends about a year in Europe here in this part. But every year there was a ship that would set sail from Centraea to Palestine because the feast is coming up. And all the Jews would make that annual trip to go there for, for the festivals. And apparently, what we see in the next verse, apparently Paul's planning on being on that ship. Apparently, the, the Jews, the legalist Jews, the, the hierarchy Jews, they must have heard about Paul going to be on that ship and, and planned to do him some harm. And apparently, their, their evil deeds must have been revealed to Paul. Because what it says is they're both there three months. And when the Jews had laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria. So see, that says he was going to get on that ship. He was, he was headed to those feasts. But, but then he heard something. For whatever he didn't get on it, the Jews were laying wait. So he purposed to return through Macedonia. So for whatever reason, Paul doesn't get on the ship. He heads back through Macedonia, and he's got some pretty good company with him. Verse number 4, they're accompanied in, in, into Asia, Sopater of Berea, of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, Gaius of Derbe and Timotheus, of Asia is Tychicus and Trophimus. So we see a great number of the churches represented with these people there, there's a lot of stuff, and, and I'm not going to spend a lot of teaching there because a lot of it's just theologians, just studies, ideas, and their thoughts. But probably there is probably a pretty good bit of money involved right here. Remember, we've looked at that before. It's not like today where a church sends out, where Jerusalem, the mother church, sends out to the little churches. It was the exact opposite. Remember, there was always collections taken up to take back to the church at Jerusalem. And, and so they, there's kind of a lot of, the, a lot of the scholars and theologians, they say there's probably a lot of money involved with these guys. They come from the different churches, and they take a pretty good size. But either way, you got some pretty incredible men from all these different churches that says that they're going, they, they're going before and tarried for us at Troas. Now, we're not really told why Paul sent them on ahead and, and he stays behind. But verse number 6 says that we sailed away from Philippi. Yeah, we're going to take a look at that. We sailed away from Philippi in the days of unleavened bread and came unto them into Troas in five days where we abode seven days. There, there's a key word right there in verse number six. 
it's not so much the word, it's the context of the word. The word's used a lot, but in this particular context, the first time we saw it was in Acts chapter 16. And we spent some time to look at it in chapter 16, verse number 9. It says, A vision appeared unto Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Y'all remember that? That's been several weeks back with that chapter. Verse number 10 says that he had seen in a vision immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathered that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia and the next day to Neapolis. There is a word used there in chapter 16 that we see used by Luke again. Anybody want to take a guess at it? For the first time when Luke's writing the letter, he said in chapter 16... He said that we endeavored to go to Macedonia. Y'all remember when we looked at that? Luke has joined Paul's traveling companion. And Luke traveled with Paul for a while because he says, we, um, we endeavored to go. Lucy from Troth came a straight course in the San Francisco and the next day to Neapolis. So, so here we, we find it again that, that Luke is going to join up with him again here in chapter 20 apparently joined up at Philippi. That's where Paul says he's at. And if you remember, that's where he joined up in chapter 16 without doing a lot of backtracking there. That's where they met up the first time and he traveled with him. There, there's a lot of do's and don'ts. I kind of wanted to know, I was trying to see, why did the other men go ahead and why did they come behind? Why did Paul go to Philippi? Why did he team up with Luke and then spend a little time there and travel with Luke? So there's some things that we do know, some things that we, that we don't know. Most of them we don't know. But, but here's what we do know. Most of all this is just speculation, but we know that Luke is a physician, right? We know that the Apostle Paul has been stoned, left for dead. We know he's been beaten. We, we know he's been locked up and imprisoned. We know that he has some kind of sickness. He has a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So we, we know that Paul's got some things going on some some health issues we don't really know what they are but but there, there's a there's some health things going on we know that paul traveled 5580 miles on foot during his ministry we know that paul traveled 6770 miles in some ricky rack boats doing the ministry of the gospel 12350 perilous miles Hard travel miles, not, not riding in, in your Cadillac, in, in, your, in your Lincoln Town car. These are hard miles. He evangelized 1,500 square miles in 16 years. Paul's body has been through some stuff. I, I know he would have had to have had some aches and pains. They didn't have no Advil. They didn't, they didn't have no extra strength, anything. All they, all they had was, was aches and pains. And, and then he's already said, we looked at it, he's got anxieties going on. He's got fears going on. He's got basically depressions going on. So I, I don't know. I'm wondering, maybe did, did Paul go to see the doctor? I, I, maybe he went to see Luke for a reason. We don't, we don't have that. But either way, what we do see is that Luke, not just the man of God, but also Luke the physician, is now traveling with Paul. The text says, We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them at Troas in five days where we abode seven days. That would have been 57 A.D. So the Jewish 
feast at that time, based on our calendar, would have been from April 7th to April 14th. That seven-day feast, Paul stays there at Philippi for the time of the feast. He and Luke set sail. They join the others at Troas. And if, if you remember, Troas is where Paul's European missionary journey began. And so far as the book of Acts is concerned, this is, this is where it'll end on, on the European journey. But verse number seven, it talks about, really it talks about what a church is on. Acts chapter 20, verse seven, upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and continue to speech till midnight. The Jewish custom of the seventh day Sabbath is past. The, the, the Sabbath day is over. This is the New Testament covenant. The, the church age is now in full swing. By 57 years, the church age is fully in. Matthew chapter 28 starts out in verse number 1 by saying, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene. You ready for your part? We got Mary Magdalene right there. Raise your hand, Mary Magdalene. We got a new Mary Magdalene in the play this year. So, so Mary Magdalene, well, I lost my place. And, and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. For fear of him did the keeper shake and became his dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here. <laughs> for he is risen as he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is on the first day of the week. It establishes the new. It does away with the old. It's no longer the seventh day Sabbath. It's the first day of the week. The Holy Spirit came on the first day of the week. The number 50 always represents the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on the 50th day, which was Pentecost. It's after the seven weeks of seven, or it's called the Feast of Weeks, but it's the first day of the week. The church age began on the first day of the week. Celebration of Jesus Christ, of life beyond death through Jesus Christ, is the first day of the week. Listen, the Seventh-day Adventists not only got the day wrong, they got all their theology wrong. But, but we come to church for a reason, and what we see is these men are here on the first day of the week. They came together to break bread. They, they've come together to, to worship. They, they've come together for church. On the first day of the week. And here Paul is preaching. Now I'm about to open a can of worms right here. But that's okay. You can't catch no fish if you don't open worms and get one out, right? Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow. And he continued his speech until midnight. Not, not a written speech. He continued speaking. He continued preaching until midnight. The, the people are in there. The, the children are in there. They didn't have no Awana. They, they, they didn't have no junior church. They, they didn't have no nursery. All, all the people are here in, in the church house. And, and they're all gathered together. And nobody told Paul what time church was over. No, nobody told Paul how long he had to preach. No, nobody told Paul what time he needed to wind down and kind of wind things up and start letting people out of here. You know, when Ezra the scribe in the book of Nehemiah, after the temple had been rebuilt and they all came together and, and he got the books out, he began the reading of the law. The Bible says that he stood up and began reading of the law. And this is first thing in the morning that he read the law until 12 noon and the people stood up. There wasn't no music. There wasn't any announcements. There wasn't any videos. There wasn't any fluff. 
They read the law of God from daybreak to 12 noon, and all the people stood up. So, so here, Paul is preaching on a Sunday night until midnight. Today's casual Christianity couldn't handle that one. Today's casual Christianity, about 20 or 30 minutes is about all they're good for. That, that's about all they can take right there. Got to, you know, we live in this microwave society that we want everything right now. And we think we can microwave the Word of God and get the fullness of it, but you can't. We, we think we can microwave and speed God up and make God do things our way on our time. That's not the way God works. God, God works in, in His time. People come to church, they got a couple thoughts on their mind. Number one, I want you to entertain me. Number two, make it please me, make it feel good about me. And by all means, get me out of here by 12 o'clock. See, I, I truly believe that many a church doors have been closed in the face of God at 12 o'clock. I truly believe many of services have been interrupted by 12 o'clock when the Holy Spirit was maybe just getting ready to show up. See, all too often time is the deciding factor that governs a church service. It governs the pulpit with the blatant disregard of the moving of the Holy Spirit. When it gets 12 o'clock, it's time to shut down. It's time. I mean, the roast is in the oven. The apple pie is cooking. I got company coming. Listen, we shouldn't have made all those plans. Hello. If we're coming to the house of God, we ought not have any kind of hard lines when we got to be there because you don't know when the Holy Spirit might show up. You don't know just what he might do. You, you don't know what kind of power might, might come into a place. We, we, we come in and... You know, we've we got the song service and, you know, we've we got announcements and, and special music. And then we did have offering in the stand-up and fellowship handshake. And we've taken those out just to save some time. We didn't take up an offering anymore. It's out there if you want to do it. But then the Bible does talk about bringing your gifts into the storehouse. I've been wanting to do that in a long time anyway. COVID just helped me do it. We stopped taking stuff up. Bring your gifts into the storehouse. I wanted a couple of little boxes up front up here. But I don't know if anybody ever walked up there and put it in there. So we put it out by the door. But, but we've already taken a couple little things out. I'll be honest with you, just time. But, you know, what happens is, is if each one of those things runs over a couple of minutes, it's, it's like people think the pastor is just supposed to cut out, edge out the Word of God to make up for the time. I'm sorry, that ain't going to happen. That, that's not the way things work. Matter of fact, when Faith Baptist Church becomes like that, we'll just get rid of the singing. We'll just get rid of the announcements. You just come in and sit down at 1030. I'll start preaching. And if we got a few minutes left on the telling, we'll sing a song or two. But you can't come to the house of God and not look at the Word of God. You can't come. There is nothing that we do in this place more important than the Word of God. There is nothing that we're going to do that is going to change us like the Word of God. Does the music help us? Absolutely. helps me. Does it get us in a mode of worship? Yeah, but to be honest, that's our fault. We, we should have primed the pump before we ever got in the car. We should have been up early enough to pray and read the Bible and have the pump primed to come here to worship. We shouldn't have come here fighting all the way, getting out like a couple cats and dogs, fighting in the parking lot, and we come in here and need to get primed. But that's what the music does. The reason the music helps us is because it's just doing what we should have already done. I'm just, I'm just telling you, if it ever gets to where we got to be out by 12, y'all can forget choir and band. If I get through preaching in time, we'll start at 1030. And when it gets done, we'll sing a couple of songs. But you cannot call it church and not have the Word of God. You, you cannot call it church. And li listen, 
Peter was the, was the first pastor. What did Jesus tell Peter to do? Feed my sheep. What is he talking about doing? You can't feed the Lord's sheep anything but this. And expect them to grow and get, and get healthy. So, so we're, we're, we're in a world today. I mean, it's no wonder that we see so little of a moving of the Holy Spirit in the church today. We come in looking at the watch, seeing what time have we got to leave. As soon, as soon as we get in and start getting settled in. So, well, I don't, I'm, I'm going to get too far. I told you I was going to wind up getting in trouble. But, but I do see one thing. I see Paul won't give a flying two cents. Paul ain't worried about no time about getting on the sun. I mean, these people had to get up earlier than most all of us. These people worked harder than most anybody lives in America. I mean, you remember when this is, right? Like they had to get up before daylight. They had to go down to the river. They had to go out to the well and draw water and get it back to the house. They had to gather the eggs. They had to milk the cows. They had to take care of the sheep. They had to feed all the livestock. They had to build the fire before they could get the coffee going. Well, okay, bless the horse. They didn't have coffee. They had to get the fire going before they could get some of them eggs going. I mean, they had work to do, and Sunday didn't change it. And Monday wasn't going to change it. They had to do it all. So we have this crowd of people there, verse number 8. There were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And, and there sat Paul. No, that's not what it says. There sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Poor old Eutychus. He done got up in the window trying to catch a breeze, trying to stay awake. You know, you know what I didn't realize till I was studying this this week? Paul was a born preacher. He couldn't have been an elaborate speaker because somebody fell asleep when he was preaching. His message couldn't have been any good. Somebody fell asleep when he was preaching. Well, they just bored him to tears because somebody fell asleep when Paul was preaching. The stories about all the shipwreck and the beating and all that stuff couldn't have mattered nothing. Paul had to have been a bad preacher because people fell asleep when he was preaching. You know what I realized? It ain't got nothing to do with Paul. If it ain't got nothing to do with Paul, they got anything to do with me. If you've, if you've spent days and hours studying and preparing and praying and bringing God's food in here to give his sheep and they fall asleep, that's their business. But it ain't on me. They should have went to bed earlier Saturday night. <laughs> I, we've looked at this all throughout the book of Acts. When the apostle Paul came to any city, he was an automatic speaker. Automatic. When, when he came to the synagogue, he was an automatic. I mean, he came from the church of Jerusalem. This is Paul. He automatically had an invitation to speak. Now, what we found out in the synagogues, it didn't take him long to get thrown out because in his invitation to speak, he told them about Jesus Christ. He told them about salvation, and he preached all that would listen. It wouldn't take long till the, the Jewish hierarchy threw him out of the synagogue. But when he got around the church, man, I, I, don't, I, I, I can't even think of anybody to relate it to. I don't know of anybody that could pass through LaGrange this coming Sunday, and it would be like, oh, man, they're in town, and they are here. That is, I mean, like the greatest thing on the top side of the planet that they would come here and preach. I can't even think of anybody to compare to the Apostle Paul. 
Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? This is, this is the elite. And if that ain't enough, think about how excited he must be. He just got through writing the letter to the church at Rome. He just got through writing all of the laws that we have about Rome, about salvation, about the blood, about sinners and sin forgiven and, and the gift of God. He just got through writing it. Can you imagine how on fire he must have been? He obviously had a lot to say because he started preaching at midnight. And he's still preaching. So he's obviously got a lot to say. He's obviously on fire and he's preaching. And poor old Eutychus, he couldn't take it no more. The Bible says he fell asleep. And he fell right off that balcony right there and landed on top of one of them pews, graveyard dead. There's some similarities in what Paul does. There's a couple of Old Testament similarities where they went in and laid their, remember Elijah, laid out on top of her son and breath of life came back to him. The Apostle Paul. Now, now I'm, just, I'm, I'm not through with the preaching yet that somebody falls asleep. I'm talking about an anointed man. I'm talking a man full of the Holy Ghost. I'm, I'm talking about a man excited about the Word of God and preaching it with all that's in him. And he is so in tune with the Holy Ghost. He is so full of the Spirit that he goes over and picks up Eutychus and says, Don't worry about it. He ain't dead. What he said? The, the Bible says he fell and he's dead and he's dead. And he's so full of the Holy Ghost that he can go pick him up and just touch him. It doesn't say that he prayed and asked his life to come back into him. It doesn't say that he begged God to give him his life back into him. He didn't say one thing. He's so full of the Spirit that he picks the young man up and his life comes back into him. Doesn't sound like to me that could have been a very dead sermon, does it? Doesn't, you know, here's the deal. There were some people sitting in that church service. They was on the edge of their pew, brother. Man, I mean, they were breathing in every word. Man, Paul's talking about all these things that happened to all the people. And, I mean, man, they're, they're about to bust at the seam. They just can't wait to hear what's next. And, and all, they probably didn't even hear Eutychus fall. I mean, they're, they're so in tune. And in the same service, in the same service, you got somebody falling out of a window because they fell asleep. In the same service. See, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same. It hasn't changed. In the same service, you can have the Holy Spirit moving. You can have somebody, it's 11.58, and they're ticked off because they got the timer set to go off at 12, and they get up and go ahead and go out the door, and they get up and walk right out by. Somebody on the third row gets up and, and goes out and walks by. But somebody that's lost and on their way to hell is so in tune that they stay to hear the gospel, and they get saved. That's what the Holy Spirit does in the church. He works every one of us, every one of us. There's your key. Everybody that comes in the church will get what you came expecting to get. You will get what you came looking for. If you came looking for nothing, don't walk out mad when you got nothing. When, when, you, when you spent time to prepare to come to the house of the Lord, and you spent some time in prayer, and you spent some time with God, and you came in expecting God to do something, like the, like the, the lame man at the gate of the temple called Beautiful, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That man looked up expecting to receive something. He wasn't expecting that. He was expecting to receive something. See, we get out of that. that that's what I see when I'm studying this is Paul. It, it just... I couldn't get past this little bit 
that, that the apostle Paul is preaching and somebody fell asleep. I'm like, really? But all it does is remind me that's exactly what a church service is. And everybody that comes gets what they come for. If you come in tune with the Holy Spirit and expecting God to do something in your life, God will do something in your life. A lot of the problem that we face in churches as a whole today is we don't come expecting anything. We come to see and be seen. We come hoping we ain't too much past 12 getting out. We come hoping the band sings the right song and maybe, maybe the choir will do my favorite song. And, and, and maybe I'll feel a little tickle of the Holy Spirit. I want to feel a little nudge into the Holy Spirit. And, and when it gets 12 o'clock, I, I can leave happy. But what if God had more than that in store for us? But, but we missed it. Well, Lord willing, while we're talking about time, that's a really good time to say it's time, ain't it? Well, we're talking about he preached till midnight, really good time. So they, they got your kids down there, and they're going to expect me to be out on time. We, we made a pact. We'll all be out on time. And, and I'm talking about time and, and run out of it. Well, let's just pray. God, thank you truly for loving us in spite of us. God, thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for your long-suffering and your patience. God, the way you, Lord, you, it's almost like you overlook our faults and our failures. When you look through the blood of Jesus, you don't even see it. God, we come in in a rush and, and just want to hear a couple good songs and a quick little sermonette and walk out having been blessed. And you bless us anyway. God, I just come tell you thank you, Father. God, I thank you for these that are right here in this place tonight, God, for these children that are on this campus, God. I pray, Father. That your sweet Holy Spirit would touch everybody in this place, God. I pray that you go home with all these children. I pray a hedge of protection around these families, God, for the ones that are hurt. And throughout the path of that storm, God, there's broken lives, broken homes, there's broken dreams, God. People have worked so long, but Lord, I pray through it all that souls would be saved, God. I pray through it all that lives would be changed, God. I pray, would you help each one of us to be a living testimony, Lord. Help us to be a light to somebody that's, well, they're in a dark place right now. They're hurt and they've, they've been through a lot, Father. God, I pray you'd let your light shine through us and help us, Father. I pray you'd help us be the hands and feet of Jesus, not just to rebuild houses, not just to move trees, God, but the hands and feet of Jesus to hug on somebody, to love on somebody, to give somebody a smile, to help somebody, Father. We just ask you to use us, God. You've been good to us. We love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.